I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. Today we'll be discussing the hair band Mount Rushmore with my two esteemed guests, D.B. Weiss, the creator of Game of Thrones, also a longtime Dungeons and Dragons player, and the Eddie Trunk, the everyman's metal hero from that metal show, of course, and who has uh, almost as many shows on Sirius XM as I do at this point. <laughs> Welcome, gentlemen, to Maximum Firepower. How's it going? Thanks, uh, Tom. Fantastic. There's a little... Little role reversal here for me and you. I, I mean, I just want to make an announcement. I've just started to learn how to play guitar, uh, and I will be forming a band and starting to infringe on Morello turf. Soon, I was going to say, I, w- I hope that this not feel threatening anyway, Eddie. That we're now talking about metal on my show because that's the converse. But the but the whole impetus, basically, for this whole Maximum Firepower show is our nights at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, mm-hmm. where we would have very candid conversations about our favorite bands and musicians, and really just suss it all out and have a nice time with some cocktails and um, so this will be our own little heavy metal happy hour version of that right now one of the games we always play at the rainbow is called Mount Rushmore where you basically take any category in metal or rock and roll whatever and you come up with the top four or in some cases the bottom four today we're going to be looking fairly exclusively at the world of hair metal, oriented hair metal. Now, I know that Mm -hmm. one of my guests today, Eddie Trunk, has a big problem with the terminology hair metal is being pejorative. He's insulted by it. Eddie, get that out of your system Mm -hmm. now so we can just go on with the show. Well, I just want to be on record with that because I'm a vocal opponent of the use of that terminology, hair metal, hair band, simply because I just feel that it's... uh, born out of style over substance. It was born as a derogatory term, and it was born to diminish and degrade these bands. And I just think to some degree, they're still living it down, and it still very much marginalizes them. So although I understand it is something I personally don't use in my own uh, language. Do you have a preferred term, Ed, that you, how do you refer to it? I just call it 80s hard rock. That's what rock was in the 80s. Well, when we do the flannel rock, podcast <laughs> exactly <laughs> we um, can so, get into so, that, so. so just just also to, to clarify so dan not only is uh the, one of the co-creators of, of game of thrones our kids are good friends and sort of musicians that sometimes play together we play dungeons and dragons together and dan we met we met and kind of bonded first over our chicago connection and yeah. heavy metal music like first I didn't time know we ever hung out was that it was watching a cubs game at a bar on la cienega and I didn't know. I didn't have any idea what Dan did for a living. He was like a nice dude from Chicago who also was the other dad at school that wore heavy metal T-shirts in the hallway. So that was how we originally bonded. And here we are now. We spent a lot of nights together at the Rainbow talking about metal. So hair uh, '80s, so that we don't like. No, it's your show, Tom. Go for it, man. Well, it is, it's, well this is going to be the hair band Mount Rushmore then. It is indeed my mm-hmm. show. So let's just start. We're going to have a number of categories, and we're just going to try to go through them quickly. And you can just make your case. I'll start out. We're going to talk about the four best bassists 
from this category of hard rock and metal. I would put up as four of my favorite would be, and we've determined we are going to mm-hmm. include Van Halen in this. They came a little bit okay. earlier, and Guns N' Roses, who are sort of maybe on the on the back end of it. My four bass players for the hair band, Mount Rushmore, would be Nicky mm-hmm. Six of Motley Crue, who, mm-hmm. well, while he never perhaps leaned too heavily on his musicianship, in a way had a little bit of that kind of like Sid Vicious vibe, like just sort of his existence puts him on the list for me. I'm going to take Michael Anthony, and again, while it may be controversial how many of those Van Halen records he was the exclusive bass player on, I'll put him on that list maybe even only for his high vocals, for the high harmony vocals and in the bassist mm-hmm. position. I'm going to go with Rudy Sarzo because when you're licking the bass as much as he did when he was in <laughs> when he was in White Snake, you yeah. definitely deserve consideration. And then last, but certainly not least, I'm going to go with Duff McKagan. And he him, took all my guys. That's, that's fine. I, an, an important and charismatic presence uh, in Guns N' Roses and his hair was up. Yeah. Dan, who do you got? Honestly, I had the so I had a couple of outliers and it led to sort of a question about like what does best mean, which we could babble again, about for too long. Like, there are people 100% who are subjective. Best, there's musicianship, but there's also like who best typifies the genre. Like I think Nikki I pick Nikki because I think Nikki, you can't really think about this kind of music in this era without thinking about him. And I even people who hate Motley Crue would kind of have to grant that point, I think. And and someone I think Rudy was was one of mine because he just his career path kind of took him through between Quiet Riot to Ozzy to White Snake. He was he was just so at the center of so much of it. And does Billy Sheehan count? Oh yeah, he's on my list. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was he was one of the ones that was on my list. Duff was on my list just for Rocket Queen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, like Rocket Queen in and of itself, that that gets you on that bass player mountain. That's a solid four. Mount Rushmore, Ed, bass players. So Michael Anthony's an outlier here only because I really, when I think of your terminology for hair metal, that's not a guy that I think of. But if you're including Van Halen in this exercise, then Michael Anthony has to be there because he was in Van Halen. And I've said, yeah. and he's one of the most wonderful people in the world, and and I, I think a great bass player. And I, and for the opening of Running with the Devil alone, he alone, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, yeah. and, and, and not, perhaps the greatest single bass note in metal, like one. <laughs> yeah. if you're, you're going to isolate one note; it's the beginning of that. Yeah, and here's my issue with Rudy Sarzo, who I love and is a wonderful mm-hmm. person and a friend, but the reality of the Rudy Sarzo factor is this. Rudy actually did not play on most of the records in the bands he's been in. He 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 played with Ozzy. He only played on a live record Mm -hmm. with White Snake. Didn't play on any records. Quiet Riot, a couple tracks on Metal Health. So he's been a stalwart in terms of live and the videos and licking the bass, but is actually (laughs) playing it on the records. He actually doesn't have that many credits in that area. So that's down to how much weight you put to the bass licking, and I weighted that very heavily. Understandably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so so let me let me give you. I'm going to go Michael Anthony because he's it's Van Halen, and, and I've said Billy Sheehan comes to mind with Mr. Big. I mean, if you're thinking of mm-hmm. the virtuoso guy, there's Billy. I'm with you on Nikki because Nikki was uh, just the spirit, the attitude, the whole thing, the songwriting, everything. I'm going to give you one that none of us have had. And this is, I think, a bit of a sleeper, but a super talented guy, a great player, and a big-time songwriter, and that would be Rachel Bolin of Skid Row. As a lifelong Jersey guy, knowing those guys growing up, I mean, there's going to be a soft spot for me with them, but they truly were one of my favorites of that scene, and I think one of the most talented. And a quick thing on Rachel that a lot of people may not know is 
Corey Taylor, Stone Sour, did a mm -hmm. double studio record about five, six years ago, and the bass player was out of the band of Stone Sour at the time, and Corey Taylor hired Rachel Boland to play bass on a studio double album for Stone Sour. So that's mm -hmm. his ability as a player. He was the chief songwriter in Skid Row, mm -hmm. and he was always look cool as hell in the chain and things, so... There you go. All right, well done. All right, so let's go to the drummer category. You're, uh, let's start this time with Dan. Well, you need to talk about Tommy Lee. I mean, he oh, he played he played upside down in his underpants. So, <laughs> and he and he laid down grooves that made people dance and take off their own pants. So I think yeah. if there's anything that this era of music was about, it was about laying down a groove. It ain't nothing but a good time and take off your pants. Yeah. So, I mean, Van Halen is hard for me because once you get into it's not that I don't think they belong. I think they belong in this discussion so much that if you really get into it, it just starts to eclipse. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, they're almost an automatic. And I think that I mean, that's, I, okay. that's okay. And, and Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. It, you it, know, they're like the Beatles of this music. Of this exactly. Era, and, so, you know? and so they should be etched on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. And Alex, I mean, I think just in terms of influence and people who listened to 30 seconds of him play and it, it completely changed the way they thought about what they were playing. It's got to be Alex as well. Eddie, who you got on this one? Oh, on drums, secret weapon of appetite for destruction, Steven Adler. No, nobody makes that band swing you, like that. And uh, you, you got to put him there. Looked great, played great, that big yep. smile playing that kit. Yep. So I got to put Steven there. For the sake of variety, so I'm also going to give you Rick Allen. For God's sakes, he's got mm. one arm. That's He's on my list, for of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. Yeah. I'm also going to give you... Uh, a guy they call the hitman, and I always felt was a secret weapon and a super underrated drummer, and that would be Tico Torres of Bon Jovi. I mean, talk about a guy, watch him hit those drums and play. He's just incredible. And I'll give you another little bit of a sleeper, deep track, deep artist here. Blas Elias of Slaughter. Sure. You watch him he was a, he with was that flowing blonde hair <laughs> and playing that big kit, up all night, sleep all was, day. Yeah. Bring it, Blas. the Farrah Fawcett majors of, like, of, yeah. of, of this era. Like, he was just so beautiful. And here's yeah. what's crazy, Tom. He still looks identically the same. He does. He still hasn't aged. He was just somebody that's so, like, personified the scene we're talking about so i wanted yeah, to throw him yeah. in there fantastic all of mine have been mentioned for this i've got alex van halen i've got rick allen i mean like first of all rick allen's on the list but i also have to give credit to the band def leppard their drummer yeah. lost an arm and they were mm -hmm. like cool we're gonna figure this out so i've got alex i've got rick um tommy lee would probably be number one on my list i mean just the way perhaps the most magnetic drummer in that particular period he sort of left behind some of the stick twirling and whatnot mm -hmm. later but it was just like he was a show within a show and was really mm -hmm. completely magnetic and then i'm gonna go with steven adler as well and steven mm -hmm. adler really speaks to an important point about rock bands and that is chemistry that the way that people four or five however many people in the band play together is like you could have other drummers who were great playing the same songs but it doesn't feel the same way as it did with him behind the kit this is tom morello's maximum firepower here with my guests db weiss and eddie trunk talking about the mount rushmore of what we will broadly call 80s rock bands or hair metal bands uh lead guitarists we're gonna have to break this down to the lead and rhythm guitar player categories i'm gonna start off with the lead guitarist and again feel free to not include gnr in this eddie if you don't want but i'm gonna go with slash at the top you know well, from the top you have to yeah you have to yeah, you have, have to, to. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to 
Uh, and then, of course, if we are including Van Halen, like I just think that Eddie Van Halen should be on every Mount Rushmore uh, in rock and roll. There's no reason yeah. to, to ever exclude. And now the other two, I wanted to sort of go a little deeper into the genre, and I'm going to put our buddy Nuno Betancourt on that list. And I had the great pleasure of seeing Nuno Betancourt as a teenager playing guitar at a club called Narcissus. I was at Harvard University. You know, they're, like at colleges, they have the French table, you know, where like you get together at lunch and you talk French and the physics table. We had the headbangers table. And Wednesday nights, we would don our spandex, get on the tee, take it into Kenmore Square and go see whatever local band was playing. The best of those local bands was extreme. And there was a guitar player in that band who at 16, 17 years old was every bit as fucking good as any guitar player that ever strapped on a guitar in the history of guitar. It was just unbelievable. I would stand in front of this guy. It's like, you know, here's this Portuguese kid. Like, how is it possible and you know they went on to fame and fortune later so nuno often sits with us mm -hmm. at the rainbow as well but he goes on that list and my fourth one is going to be matthias yobbs of the scorpions who doesn't get anywhere near the credit as the incredible axe slinger that he is and the way that his it's a tremendous flavor and the solos are fantastic those are my top four Eddie, who do you got in this category? You know i love nuno he's one of my favorites i love richie Kotzen. The records he did with Poison, mm -hmm. the two records he did with Mr. Big, his solo stuff, Next Level. But you can't not include Slash and Eddie Van Halen. And Slash, much to his chagrin, included in this conversation again. Yeah. But but that is absolutely from an image yeah. standpoint, even. The top hat, the look. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, the guy. Yeah. So, okay, so there's those two. I'm going to give you one that is a guy that, this band gave me my first ever gold record on stage at a club in Brooklyn. And it is a guy that to this day, people ask me about all the time. Is he still alive? He left a huge mark in a very short period. And that's Vito Brada of White Lion. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. People loved Vito. They were blown away by Vito. Yeah. And because people know I know Vito, to this day, I'll have people from Guitar World call me. Can you get me to Vito? He's like the Howard Hughes, <laughs> whatever happened to guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he left a huge, huge mark on a lot of people. The other guy I would put in here, again, just to create some different talking points, Warren Martini. Of course, of course. So, no you know, the stuff mm -hmm. with Rat is timeless, and Warren mm -hmm. was incredible. So, Great, and Warren, guitar player well, as well. Yeah. You know, just, just to mix it up a little bit, I could easily put Nuno on as well, could easily put Kotzen on, but I'm going to give you Vito as like the sleeper guy, Eddie and Slash as the marquee guys, and mm -hmm. Martini as the guy who slots in somewhere in the middle. I think the interesting thing about Vito was his band, White Lion, was so soft. I mean, they were really on, or at least their hits, were really on the soft end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And as a guitar player, you know, I couldn't wait till two minutes and 30 seconds into those songs to see what that guy was going to do. Because he had all of, like, sort of the Van Halen stuff down, but really did have his own take on it, you know? So that's an excellent... Uh, if you if you listen to White Lion's truly first album before they were signed to Atlantic, it's called Fight to Survive, that is a ripping hard rock mm, record mm. through and through. And then Pride, which was the one that had the big hits, that has some meatier stuff on it than, as you said, the singles. Yeah. And then after that, there was the cover of Radar Love, which got some airplay, which he gets to go off on a little bit. So if you really know the catalog, as I do, there, there are amazing moments that are much more rocking. But you're 100% right in that the, the singles and the hits were definitely lighter, lighter rock fare for sure. All right, Dan, what do you got? 
again, it's, it's, this is a, a category that's, there are two automatics on there that it's just impossible to argue with. I mean, you know, Slash and Eddie. And then Warren was on my list as well, Chicago's yeah. own Warren Demartini, because he's somebody who put in the, the woodshed hours, you know, and you can really hear it. And, and it's funny because so many of the, like it's lead rhythm, but a lot of the bands that I liked kind of followed that Tipton Downing murray smith like twin attack like rat was really a twin attack guitar band def leppard was a twin attack guitar band and they were and it was sometimes hard to to separate the two of them but i warren's one of the most underrated uh hard rock metal guitar players out there i just the way i think his if you listen to to what he wrote on like round and round or lay it down i just think those guitar arrangements are just so they're not obvious. They're not what you would play if you picked up a guitar and just started flapping around. They're really well thought out, but they don't feel thought out. They feel like they're just smacking you upside the head. When Dan and I were first uh, getting to know each other, we were trick-or-treating one Halloween with the kids. And, <laughs> I, was gonna, and I, was I didn't particularly know yeah. Dan's taste in music at the time. And we're trick-or-treating. And we come to Warren D. Martini's house, and Warren D. Martini comes out and gives candy to their kids. Yeah. And I introduce—I've known Warren for a while, great dude. And I introduce him to Dan. He should have seen that. Like, like Dan was just like a puddle. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was—I was dumb. I, yeah, I was dumb because it came out of nowhere. It's like they open. It was that thing where the guy's about to open the door, and Tom goes, "You know, this is Warren D. Martini's house." And then, like on cue, two <laughs> seconds later, Warren D. Martini opens the door. And I was just and, like, uh, and Dan, your Dan, your mind goes to the round and round video and him falling through the ceiling yeah. and taking the guitar solo <laughs> on the table. Well, when we get, to, which unfortunately Milton Berle had left the table, both male and female Milton Berle had left the table at that point. <laughs> so Milton Berle didn't stick around for Warren's guitar solo, which I think was a huge mistake. On that Milton is a Berle's huge part. mistake. Yeah. And real but, quick, real quick, even funnier tying in on the trick or treating theme. Hmm. The the rumor has been forever, and this is disputed whether it's true or not, that Warren D. Martin family has a huge stake in the M&M Mars company and actually may have been involved in making the chocolate you received on Halloween. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, well I believe I believe they were handing out M&M candies that night. There you go. Huh. As, as, as Warren's handing out the M&M candies, you know, like Dan is like, so on the bridge to wanted man is the inversion you're using. <laughs> He's like, what? Is it a G like, minor just take, just take the candy, dude. What? But, but real quick, real quick, real quick. I'll give you a quick duo from this era, super overlooked, but absolutely should be in the conversation. And if you want a duo of two equally blazing, amazing players, this band I used to see live and maybe the two best players in the same band trading off. Say Night Ranger. And that's Brad, Brad Gillis and Jeff Watson mm. of Night, Night Ranger. Ranger. Yeah. When, when yeah. All that stuff, man, that Jeff yeah. Watson did, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, incredible. Um, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. The, the guitar solo on Don't Tell Me, like I sat in front of my, we didn't have a VHS recorder. I would wait for that as a young, aspiring, shredding guitar player. That particular solo with Brad Gillis's unique stylings and Jeff Watson's eight-finger technique. Let me tell you, when there was the eight-finger technique, oh, that sent all of us into a tizzy. All of us into a tizzy. Uh -huh. We're like, now I have to, like, with Eddie, it was enough to have, like, that extra one no. finger on there. Now I got to That's what started people posing, posing on the cover of guitar. Everybody had to pose on the cover of Guitar Player magazine like this. Yeah, he just, he like, where every finger with, was on the fretboard. He's like, just to let you know, yeah. the eight-finger guy is me. <laughs> there are only six strings, but all of my fingers are still on the fretboard. <laughs> occupied. I have more fingers on the fretboard than I have strings. All right, continuing down the list, rhythm guitars. We can maybe go through this a little bit quicker. I'm going to go with Rudolf Schenker 
of the Scorpions mm. as a just a mm. solid, r- great rhythm guitar player. I'm going to go with Izzy Stradlin of Guns N' Roses, mm. who sort of in for the 80s kind of defined the position in a way of like the cool-ass Keith Richards dude in a band with hair that went high. I'm going to go with Mick Mars on this one, especially in a live context. Like it was just devastating, his tone and his kind of vibe. And then I sort of left the last slot open because as I was kind of going through the catalog of these bands, there didn't really, I'm bringing one of my, lead guitarist into the rhythm guitarist category, and that's going to be Nuno Betancourt again, who's just an incredible rhythm guitar player and the sort of the combination of like the funk, just a tremendous meter and rhythm and funkiness to his playing while at the same time shredding his ass off. That's my list. Let's go. Dan, what do you got on the rhythm? I don't have much to add to it. I did one thing. I only thing I would add, and maybe at the risk of even being boring and and hitting the same thing over the head one too many times, but I, uh, I was... We, in the movie we just finished, uh, Chuck Klosterman does a, a quick uh, a quick appearance, and and we were just talking to him through our masks on set. And one of the things that came up was the something that he'd said about uh, if Eddie Van Halen had never played a guitar solo, he would be firmly ensconced in the category of best rhythm guitarists uh, in the history of rock. I mean, and I if you listen, yep. if you just I mean, like, like Running with the Devil is, is very you know he really instead of putting it all out there at the beginning of the first record he he holds back he plays rhythm guitar on that song he plays rhythm guitar on feel your love tonight he plays he plays rhythm guitar so much of what he's doing really falls into just i was unchained i was listening to the other day which is some of the you everybody's dancing to it and it's like you're dancing to one of the weirdest fucking things you've ever danced to and you don't even realize it because he's doing very crazy off meter stuff but he he never loses the thread it never goes prog it's panned to one side isn't it yeah it's, it's panned to one side because it sounds like a band like if you're in the club it's yeah. basically like if you were in a club watching van halen that's what those early records are eddie's just right yeah. there, one, one man and one speaker in addition to every other damn thing uh he's he's the rhythm guitarist too yeah yep all right eddie yeah, anybody? Uh, I want to give a quick mention to you for as far as dual guitars. I love Tesla. Tesla was one of my favorite bands of this whole era. And I, when I saw Modern Day Cowboy and Tommy and Frank trading off in that, I just love that band. So I, I got to work them into the conversation in some way because I love Tesla. Rhythm guitar, I mean, I think, again, we're including Guns N' Roses. Izzy is way up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, songwriter, As a writer super as well. cool. Yeah. Hanging in the back there, not, you know, just the perfect balance with Slash, brought so much to the table, knew his place. I mean, just contributed so much. So, some people feel that, you know, there, there really isn't a valid Guns N' Roses without Izzy because he was such an unsung hero there. So got to go Izzy. You know, Tom, I didn't have this guy, but you bringing up Rudolph Schenker is strong. I mean, Rudy is the rock of the yeah. Scorpions. Yep. And him knocking out those riffs on that flying V the anchor of the human pyramid, if you will, (laughs) that the Scorpions build during their shows. For those of you who may not know, like the Scorpions traditionally in concert have like, they build literally a human pyramid made up of the guitarists and the flying V is the (laughs) pinnacle of the human. Right. It's Matthias and Rudy on the bottom. And then Klaus, the diminutive Klaus climbs up on the shoulders and they make the human pyramid. I mean, that's, that's awesome. So you can't, you can't not have Rudy, and that was no. a great call, which I did not think of. We will definitely include him in this. Just for the sake of variety and keeping it entertaining, we're going to give you a couple sleepers here. Okay. I'm going to give you Joey Alves of Y&T. Yeah. Y&T 
is an amazing band. Dave Menachetti, yep. a tremendous guitar player and singer to this day. Joey, the rhythm guitar player to Dave's lead on all of the classic records and was an anchor of that band. Sadly, he passed away a few years ago. But I want to throw him in there. Mean, and, streak, mean streak is a jam. That was oh god, so good, so good. And for pure '80s goodness of videos and all that, Jeff Labar of Cinderella, Tom mm-hmm. Kiefer, a towering figure in this yes. era we're talking yes. about. Yes, we'll and be getting to very, him soon, I'm sure. Very much songwriter, yeah. lead guitar, lead singer, all of it. And to this day, Kiefer is still incredible with his own band. But let's not forget Labar and Brittingham doing the guitar swing around the neck. My gosh, that's talk about it. I mean, so he's bouncing around while Tom is anchoring the whole operation. There's Jeff running around, swinging the guitar, banging out the rhythms. So big mention for Labar. Those are some excellent, excellent deep cuts right there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dan Weiss. Eddie Trunk. This is exactly what it feels like when they're kicking us out of the rainbow. So appreciate you all hanging in and listening. And um, we will return with part two of our discussion of all things hairy and metal next time on Maximum Firepower. Take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.